You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello, listeners, and welcome to uh, the Essential Apple Podcast 251. And this is a special edition because we have a special guest. I have with me Aidan Fitzpatrick, who is uh, a serial, apparently, app inventor, a technologist, and CEO, I believe, of Camo, the the app that lets you turn your iPhone into a webcam and more. So uh, welcome, Aidan. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, Simon. It's a pleasure. I'm I'm here for 251. I've been I've been looking forward to it. Excellent, excellent. So, um, obviously, I did just mention a few things. If you'd like to, you know, tell the uh, listeners uh, who you are and how you got where you are, and then we'll just carry on from there. Really? Yeah, sh- sure thing. So, uh, Aidan Fitzpatrick. I've been building uh, a product called Camo over the last couple of years, and essentially camo helps you get broadcast quality video without needing a professional camera and without all of the cost and hassle that come with them and it does it in a very simple way by using the incredible image sensors that are in the phone uh, iphone or android that you already have it's really as simple as that people use it for uh, calls for streaming for recording Um, but but it's essentially the image sensors and software powering the image sensors in modern smartphones far, far outclasses that of any webcam. So we're just building a product to help people make the most of that. And uh, I've been building software in the UK with my uh, company Reincubate for the last 12 years now. We've had a variety of different products. Um, we're still still hard at work building them. Excellent. Excellent. So um, apart from Camo, which, you, which you've mentioned there, uh, is there anything else that the listeners might be familiar with? Or is it more kind of, you know, um, industry focused stuff, you know, data analysis or whatever? Yeah. So the first product that we uh, launched was back in 2008. And that's a, a product called iPhone Backup Extractor, which is pretty well known, really. Um I was an early adopter of the iPhone. I lost my data and essentially I built it to help me get it back by pulling partial bits of data out of iPhone backups. So, you know, very simply put, if you, you know, uh, lose some data and wish to recover it, the the only uh, option that you have from uh, iTunes or from your iPhone is either to fully restore your iPhone backup and erase what's on it. Uh, or, well, <laughs> or to go without it. And so we're providing a way for people to access part of their data uh, if they need to pull it out in that way. And, and, and that product sort of extended and grew over the years to take on a number of, of different forms. But, uh, yeah, pe- people may be familiar with that one. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Sounds, you know, always handy because Apple, you know, much as we love Apple, sometimes they lock things away in strange silos that don't always make um things like data recovery as easy as you'd as you'd hope i have to admit and um is that the product that you you mentioned when you contacted me which kind of uh you know foreclosed the fbi need for a back door or did you have some other um later product that was involved in that yes um we we um have uh you know iphone backup extractor has been very widely used um 
in, including by them. Uh, you know, we, we haven't marketed uh, it as a product for forensics or towards law enforcement, but it has had quite a healthy uh, uh, user base in that space. Um, so yeah, they, they've been able to use it in in uh, you know a couple of cases to get access to data that was locked away. I mean, we've got some technology around iCloud that does some of that as well. But it, you know, as you say, we, we love Apple, and you know their stance around privacy um, is sometimes unhelpful in that sense. You know, it's it's simply because the data can be harder to get at for consumers who own the data. So what we're trying to do is help you as someone who owns the phone, be able to access the data that's on it. You know, we're not we're not doing this centrally. We're not kind of pulling the data out for analysis, for advertising or for anything like that. It's just helping ordinary consumers see what is on a phone that, that they own. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. So um as well as as well as those, um you told me, you know, you've you've spoken at uh, Google and Snap and various other places. Um and uh I'm assuming that you have, uh, or you implied, or at least I inferred, if I'm wrong, then, <laughs> that, you know, you've got some fairly forward-looking views in the kind of AR and um, VR space and the metaverse as, you know, may or may not come to something. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I, I, I guess it, it makes for a, a good conversation. I mean, we've integrated Snap uh, and some of Snap's uh, well, so Snap, as as I'm sure you know, but maybe not all the listeners will know, is the company behind Snapchat. Uh, and they obviously have a range of AR technology for introducing visual effects. Um, we've partnered with them to include uh, some lenses and some augmented reality effects in camo so that a user can be on a call, uh, as I said, or streaming or recording, and kind of pull some of those effects uh, in and we're taking a slightly different focus in that you know a lot of what Snapchat's doing is you know is around mobile is around social so typically that video is sort of shot in uh, portrait orientation and the effects are more fun we're kind of building out stuff that's that's a little bit more uh, serious a little bit more uh, work related and suitable for longer calls um, so that's one of the building blocks that we're building but it, it's just quite interesting seeing how this technology is moving towards uh, the metaverse, whatever that means. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, make, makes for a, a good discussion because I, th I think at the moment there's quite a binary, you know, either you are a streamer or you aren't a streamer, right? And I, I think what's starting to happen is that people are being more exposed to, you know, the, the opportunity to sort of present themselves or use video uh, more frequently. And so I think what's going to happen is it's going to be less the case that you are a streamer, you aren't a streamer, more a case that everyone is sort of streaming or doing stuff with video to some extent in their lives. And, and I think it's hard to imagine that that won't form some part of entry to, you know, the metaverse or, you know, whatever, whatever one calls it, you know, some, some closer interaction with an all-encompassing system in that way. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's... The metaverse has become a bit of a joke term ever since, uh, you know, they changed their name to Meta and said that that's right. what they're going to focus on. And, uh, you know, the very cringy video of Mr. Zuckerberg and his chums playing silly beggars in a virtual room was, uh, to me, was like, yeah, you're just putting people off, to be honest. <laughs> 
you know, it all just looked like a very silly PlayStation kind of, you know, my boy's got a, a PlayStation VR and it looked like the sort mm. of weird and wonderful toys you get for that. But obviously, like all these things, um, I can't I think it's Benedict. Is it Benedict Evans? I can't remember if it's Benedict mm. Evans or um, one of the others who says, you know, all new technology is always taken as a toy or, you know. Yes business and everybody yeah that's all very well but it's just a toy uh, you know mm. the mac was a toy mobile was a toy uh you know video is a toy um until it's not and it becomes yeah. mainstream and um you know well let's face it before the pandemic um video calls were to a large extent not a consumer you know a mainstream consumer thing there, there were people who did it obviously you know and there are perfectly good reasons you know if your grandparents live in australia or something then facetime or skype or or whatever you know are a, a fantastic tool but for a long time people were like why would i want to have the video on while i'm talking to somebody effectively quote unquote on the phone because now yeah. people do it all the time you, t- you see people walking down the street the same as you know the old thing of holding your finger and thumb up to your ear like you know call me that's no you know i don't i still use a phone like that but the number of people you see who now use a phone by holding it in front of them and talking at it uh with the loudspeaker on is is fast and of course a lot of those people are doing that because they've got facetime or skype or Hmm. or, or whatever open and um i certainly think a lot of younger people now just accept that as how it is, you know, that the only reason that you might use audio only is because, yeah, I'm, I'm in the bathroom or, you know, I've just stepped out of the shower. Um, the rest of the time it's like, yeah, call me means, you know, FaceTime me or, or use video. I know my, my daughters do that an awful lot, you know, um, certainly amongst them, you know, amongst their friends, they're always video chatting. And then of course the pandemic came along and we had all the work from home and we all know that Zoom, you know, who'd ever heard of Zoom before 2020, um, company that just burst onto the scene, you know, Mm. um, and of course, all of them are gradually adding more features, the ability to share your screen from your computer or your phone to, as you say, to add visual effects of one sort or another. And uh, initially, yes, you're right, it's, you know, rainbows coming out of your mouth or dog ears and, you know, rabbit faces and all those sort of things. But people use that technology, don't they? I mean, um, now, uh, you know, even simple tools have the option, you know, blur my background and yeah. or, you know, replace my background with a beach in Florida or whatever else. And people do it all the time. And of course, those things become accepted. And mm. it's 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 quite easy to forget that the technology that allows you to do that is actually really quite computationally intensive. It's got to be able to pick you out from your current background and then, you know, create a green screen mask and throw something else on there. Um, and actually, I'm often quite surprised just how incredibly accurate it is. You know, um, you, you almost feel like, wow, surely this shouldn't hardly work at all or it should be really rough. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, we've, we've spent a lot of time on on exactly that sort of technology on you know, I mean, of course, the, the the listeners can't see, but I'm using a a bokeh effect on the video now, which is sort of quite a bit more subtle than than what Zoom does, which is kind of slightly taking things out of focus. Um, but you make a good point. I mean, the, the pandemic has been great for adoption of this technology. Uh, I think you could be forgiven for thinking that Skype solved AV over a decade ago, but 
you know, coming back to spend a lot of time with it, you see that there are still a lot of problems. I mean, it's it's still hard with many platforms to start a call and have your video and, you, and your audio just working, right? It's, yeah, as we just found out, because I yeah. haven't used Skype in, I don't know, a couple of years, and I had to log in, and then I had to connect to you, and, and then, um, you know, when I started it, it decided that the video wasn't going to work, and I had to log out and go into system settings and remove Skype from the... Um, from the security, you know, allowed to use the camera and add it back in and relaunch oh. it. And then suddenly it was working and it was like, yeah. And I couldn't find the call button either. I mean, Price. sorry, 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 Microsoft, but your, you know, your UX designers need to, uh, you know, to rethink that. Um, it could be, it could be made easier, couldn't it? You know, certainly I had could. to, it certainly could. Where's it, you know, where's the, if you're in a chat with somebody traditionally, and certainly back when Skype first had started, there would be just a big green button, which was like initiate a yep. call. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I remember that. And yeah, now, it, it certainly got more complex. And now it's hidden away. You have to sort of look in the sidebar and select a chat and initiate a new call. And do you want video and do you want sound only? And oh, blimey, you know, I have it to could admit, make it easier. which is one of the reasons I switched to Wire, because Wire um, is, to my mind, it's like Skype before they messed it up. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'll, I'll have to check it out. It's, yeah, I mean, you, you said you talked about, you know, that, that Benedict Evans line about things being a toy before they find adoption. And I think you're, you're, you're quite right about, uh, about the metaverse and about VR. I mean, you know, at the moment we're working with augmented reality, which is, which is not the metaverse, right? It's not VR, not yet. And there are a lot of questions. As you said, Meta or Facebook, you know, they, they showed off that meeting. And I, I think a lot of people saw that or some people saw that and, and sort of thought, well, what, why would I want to do this meeting but in VR? Like, what, what's the appeal for that? And I think they, they've got UX challenges and design challenges to think through. But as you've probably seen with the VR headsets, like there's a hardware problem as well. You know, these, these things are bulky. They're heavy. The lenses don't always work very well. They're still quite low resolution. Users get headaches. Um, there's there's a lot they have to do. And I mean, I, it, it's very interesting to sort of read the smoke signals coming from Apple about what they may be doing with a headset and, and where that's going to end up and what it will look like and how people will use it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, you're right. The smoke signals from Apple, in my view, I mean, Tim, you know, Tim Cook has made it a, a, a lot like for a long time before the watch. He, you know, he dropped hints, which sometimes you can only pick up like looking backwards. Mm. Um, but he has several times said that particularly AR is something that he thinks is very important and could be, you know, a real area of interest. And, and I'm, I'm, yes, there are all these rumors flying around about they're going to do a VR headset and it's, you know, going to cost $3,000 and they probably will because that's Apple, isn't it? They start at the premium end and then work down. Um, on the whole, I, much as I enjoy VR, um, yeah, and, you know, a lot of people will tell you that the, the PlayStation VR is not the best. No, it's not the highest quality. It uses very simple controllers and whatnot. But it's still a lot of fun, um, and it can be really, really great. Um, I'm not a huge VR fan. I can't stand... Um, my boy had one game called uh, Wipeout, based on the right. um, very famous like, Wipeout franchise from, I don't know, started on PlayStation 1, which is a sort of... Um, 
anti-grav racer thing where they go around but it, you, you're racing around what are like roller coasters and after about two minutes I, <laughs> I'm going to throw up it's horrible but there are other games that work really well you know first person shooters are, are an obvious example and they, they can be great um my boy has a, a game called diffuse the bomb which is absolutely hilarious because what happens is one person puts on the headset and is presented with a bomb that they have to diffuse. And the other player who um, can't see what's going on watches the TV where they are shown um, like the pages of a handbook. So the puzzles will say, oh, I've got some wires. So you have to read out from the handbook right. to the person with the set on and saying, are there three blue wires? And it's all like, if there are three blue wires, do that. And if there are two red wires, do this. It's one, if the yellow wire is and like that. And there's a whole variety of puzzles in there to defuse the bomb. And it's hilarious because you have to find the instructions and relay them to the person who's got the headset on. And then they've got to interpret them and attempt to defuse the bomb. It's a very fun party game, actually, because... <laughs> And and that's you know that doesn't involve lots of horrible motion sickness at all. Um, and the other one we've got is a, there's a very famous board game called Settlers of Catan. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a there's a, a VR version of that, which is actually a brilliant recreation of the game. And you can play against you know compute. You can play and have like uh, online. You can have either four human players or you know two human players and and two uh, like AI players or three AI players if you don't have anybody to play with. And not only is that great, but of course, being on the computer, effectively, it does all the hard work for you. When you decide where you want to put your pieces or it's your turn, it, it calculates all the horrible adding up how much resources you gain or lose or whatever for you. And that is actually a brilliant use because um, if you've ever played Settlers of Catan, <laughs> Like by hand, there's all this mm. quite often. Oh, I didn't, I, I missed out one of my resources points, and it's like tough. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it does all the, the typical thing you want the hard, uh, you know, the hardware to do for you, which is do all the number crunching for you and allow you to just calculate or, you know, concentrate on your strategy. And that's all great. And in the longer term, We've already seen people, you know, using VR to do things like, obviously, you know, learn how to do surgery or, or to, you know, take apart complex pieces of electronics. Or, and I'm, I'm sure those sort of things will become ever more prevalent. But I still think in the consumer space, apart from entertainment and maybe meetings, that AR is going to be where the big, you know, consumer strides come when you can have a pair of glasses and if your phone's ringing, it will just you will just see a little notification saying, you know, Aiden is calling or, you know, your mum is calling or such and such email. Much as we do now, you know, if you have an Apple Watch, when my phone goes ping or my watch goes ping, I just glance at my watch. And if it's nothing important, you just ignore it. Um, and then all the other, obviously, that's where you start to drift into the metaverse because when you start getting things like, um, you know, if I meet you for the first time in a business meeting and my glasses tell me, you know, Aidan Fitzpatrick, CEO of Reincubate, um, you know, winner of the Queen's uh, Business Award, which we didn't mention. You've won the Queen's Business Award twice, apparently. For my, for my sins, I, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, congratulations. That's not something that Thank gets you. handed out like smarties. Um, so. 
and we've discussed AR quite a lot on this show, and some of the regulars are, you know, more sceptical than others, obviously. Um, it's something that fascinates me. You know, will it take off? You know, will it become the next smartphone revolution? I, If they can make it work effectively and, you know, in a pair of spectacles that don't make you look like something from, uh, you know, a 1950s sci-fi with a weird pair of goggles bolted onto your forehead or something, um, I, I think it could be, you know. Um, what's your kind of take on that? Yeah, I... I agree that one of the big AR innovations is, is to sort of create feelings of motion sickness far and beyond that of what anyone can do with a car. You know, when I when I get got playing one of those roller coaster games or racing games on, on in, in VR, you know, I, I, you've got to lie down for an hour afterwards just to just to <laughs> stop feeling sick. Um, you know, at the moment we're building in AR, and of course you're talking to our. You know, I, I do think AR is much more interesting in the short term. And you mentioned the, the Apple Watch. I'm a big fan of the Apple Watch, and I don't think I would have figured out before I had it just how effective it is in changing my behavior with my phone. Because of course you get the notification on the watch. You can look at it. You can see what it is. You, you don't have to pull your phone out or pick your phone up and look at it and kind of switch into that zone. And I suspect with AR and other ways of sort of notifying users or augmenting data that they're viewing, there will sort of be similar unexpected benefits. Um, it is very hard for me to imagine Apple shipping something in AR this year, as as originally the rumors said they would, because, I yeah, I, I can't see them stra- shipping something that you would strap to your head that would be bulky. And I struggle at this point to see them shipping something like Google Glass. Uh, and possibly I'm not imaginative enough, but I'm not. I'm not entirely sure what that product would look like physically. You know, I, I know how you could use AR in the Apple ecosystem to to enhance a number of things. But yeah, I, I don't think it's coming just yet from Apple. No, I don't. I don't think so either. Um, I'm I'm more in tune with the rumours that this year they will launch some kind of VR headset possibly mm. with um you know possibly with ar attributes such as maybe a pass through camera or, yeah. or 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 such like to um maybe do some sort of ar but i think tim's you know reading between the lines of the things tim cook says i think he's looking much more at something which would be much more like the the, the um the sort of ray-ban um type of frames you know they might be a bit mm. more joe 90 than the thin and light metal frames we tend to favor now but then that's fashion i mean my glasses are effectively a, a modern take on you know traditional national health specs you know they're mm. bigger and so you know fashions come and go big i mean who remembers the sort of uh steve wright giant glasses of the 80s you know when you had yeah. People wearing like Billy Bunter shaped glasses, but they would sort of went from the middle of your forehead down to the middle of your, you know, bottom of your nose. Yep. Um, followed oddly by a phase when everybody wanted to wear glasses that were sort of the size of the end of your little finger. Yes. If you remember those little tiny letterbox yes. lenses, which I always and thought then, were hilariously useless. But uh, and then we had the Sven Joran Eriksson period, didn't we? With the yeah, with, with the rimless ones. Yeah, you know, so there we go. But I, I think Apple would be much more looking to create what are obviously spectacles. 
um, and probably rely heavily on the bow to mm. power them, that they would be much, oh, yeah. m- much more about um, the visual aspect than actually doing a huge amount themselves. Um, and I think that you know, Apple are not going to bring out anything clunky. And I mean, the, you know, the first edition might be like the first Apple Watch and relatively low powered and only have a few features. Mm. But, what, what do you think about the car? Do you think the car comes into it? Because, you know, if it's like a, if Project Titan is continuing and they are doing it and they're not partnering and those are all big ifs, you could imagine it will have a central sort of big iPad thing like a Tesla has. And easy to understand how that would work. Think CarPlay on steroids. But you, you could imagine them projecting stuff onto the glass in the way that some car manufacturers do. And, and then you're kind of in AR again, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, very much. I think you could... I, I would imagine that being very much a, a thing, you know, maybe it would have, you know, you know, obviously if it's a self-driving car, as some people have rumoured, but it could have a lot of other information on there, like, you know, uh, the route the car is planning to take, estimated time of arrival, you know, points of interest. Do you want to stop at Starbucks? You know, here is a Starbucks, that sort of thing. Um I mean, if it's a self-driving car, you probably wouldn't care so much about the sort of things that they project onto heads-up displays in cars at the minute, like the speed and rev count. But you might want to know the battery level and uh, you know things like that. So, yeah, I, I think um, cars in general are already beginning to employ things like heads-up displays, whether they're projected onto the glass or um, like the car I test, like, uh, test drove. Uh, you know, it has a little perspex panel um, sort of on the top of the dashboard, which has things like the current speed limit, your current speed, your cruise control setting, so that you don't have to look away from the road to see those. Um, and I think in general, cars are going to become much more like fighter planes in that respect, that more and more stuff is going to be projected up onto the screen, especially as we've started adding all these, you know, iPad type center console um sometimes which i have found are actually retrograde step my current car has very few analog controls and they're all on the touch panel and um although that's okay for some things particularly like the heat well i say the heater the heat is okay but actually my previous one had a simple knob you know if it wasn't hot enough you turned it clockwise and if it was too hot you turned it anti-clockwise and you didn't have to look at it to do that you could simply feel the clicks but with this one obviously you've got to look away and like tap the targets um and some things which you used to be able to do really easy with an analog control um like adjusting the brightness of the dash in my current car is effectively like you know reprogramming something you have to delve like five screens down and oh it's horrible whereas the previous one simply had a little thumb wheel on on the steering wheel which was like turn it up to make it brighter and down to make it dimmer so something nice about a a nice analog control isn't there and 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 avoiding gesture controls as well i think unless you really nail a gesture control it's it's a big step back isn't it yeah um i mean there's nothing like the the gesture controls on the Apple mouse or the or the trackpad. I turn them nearly all off because I hate them all. <laughs> Maybe that's because I've been using Macs for so long that I know where you know I know where all the commands are. But you know, sort of three swipe up with three fingers from the bottom or from the middle to get different things. Is and and I set them off all the time by accident and then just go what? No, I didn't want to switch applications. You stupid machine. 
So I just turn them all off, to be honest. Um, but the the car, ooh, the car is an endless debate, isn't it? Is it mm. is it a car? Is it a self driving car? Is it is it a software platform? Is it something they want to build and then license out? Who who knows? Who knows? And it seems like they've had several shifts of direction over yes. the years. And that's been pointed at by lots of people to say, oh, well, it's a, you know, it's failing. I don't think that at all. I think, you know, they're researching a very, very difficult problem. And in doing that, you are going to change direction. You might, you know, they might have spent two years working on trying to navigate using LIDAR and then said, well, this just isn't good enough. We need to come up with something else, whether that's we need to do, you know, some sort of optical recognition as well or instead of, who, who knows? But, you know, they employ a lot of very clever people. Um, and as Apple, don't don't care about being first. They care about being best or at mm. least what they, you know, what they perceive to be the best. Um, so, I, you know, and whether it ever sees like day, it may, it may just in the end, they might go, look, we can't make the, we can't achieve what we want to achieve. But all that research is generating something all yeah. of the time. Um, whatever yeah, I think, is. I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. They, you know, they, they will put the work in. They'll, they'll understand what is there that is substantially better than what's available at the moment. And it, it may or may not lead into a product. And, you know, it may well end up with a bunch of IP or a bunch of patents they file or maybe just enhancements to CarPlay. I mean, CarPlay leaves a fair amount to be desired, I would say. Um, but it has it has improved quite a lot, hasn't it, over the last couple of generations? I, I must admit, I very rarely use CarPlay. Um, that is because there's two reasons for that. One, I actually have to plug my phone in. The, the fact that most car manufacturers didn't go for wireless CarPlay so that it can detect your phone straight away and switch to CarPlay is a, a big drawback. If you want my honest opinion, you know, if you've got to physically plug your phone in now, if you go any, if, you know, if you drive any distance, that's probably not a problem. But if you're like me and your longest car journey is probably 20 minutes at a time, it's just like, well, I can listen to the radio for that. Or, or you know, I can, if I want to listen to my podcast, I just stream it over Bluetooth because it will yeah. pick, pick it up just the same. So I don't, I don't get massive benefits from CarPlay. So I don't use it a lot. But, you know, when I have used it, it seems quite nice. But yeah, there are one or two things about it you think what are you doing here i don't you know i don't get your i don't get your thought process as to why you've done that but um no yeah i, I got into you know as people did mounting a phone uh you know before carplay was a thing and before there were sort of tablet style dashboards and now you know i i, I don't own a car so you know i hire cars uh, so you know I, I i'm in a different car fairly often uh, and most of them do tend to have some sort of graphics display, you know, where the tape player used to be. Yeah. But I find it's too small and it's too low down. I don't want to look at Apple Maps down there. I want to look at Apple Maps on the dashboard. And so sticking a phone to the dashboard is a much, much better solution than having to take my eyes off the road and kind of look down at that. And so I, I do think having a HUD on the screen would be a much better progression from a mounted phone than you know what we have now and and it's hard to see them you know it's it's hard to see how they would apply that to a lot of different brands you know maybe that's one or two brand partnerships if it's not their car that's true i i mean one of the things with apple maps which 
I have noticed recently is that um, the Siri instructions or, you know, the, the instructions that you, you get from it are much more conversational than most other um, most other sat-navs now. Whereas, it, you know, all sat-navs used to kind of go, in 400 yards, turn left, you know. You, you know, in 100 yards, turn left, turn left now. Siri will actually say things like, after the lights, you know, take the third exit on the roundabout or you know you're approaching the junction bare left but it's much more conversational um and of course with a heads up you could have you know simply an indicator in your heads up showing you uh, simply an arrow you know with a countdown going 400 yards 300 yards 200 with you know bare left or turn right yeah um i mean if you've got the street view data and you can map it onto reality you could do some very interesting stuff couldn't you you could indeed you, you know, you could uh, do some really interesting, uh, you know, heads up display kind of, yeah, well, augmented reality. So I'm sure all these sort of things are the things that Apple are working on. There's a lot more to a car than a drivetrain and a body shell, you know. Um, I, I don't I don't think some of the analysts, when they talk about, oh, Apple's car, take that into account. Um, I mean, there was this rumour that, you know, Apple want to build one with no steering wheel and no pedals. And as we all said, that's uh, that might be a laudable idea, but what happens if it breaks down? I'm pretty sure you need to have at least a panel that you can open and pull out some kind of, you know, steering <laughs> mechanism. <laughs> if you have to be towed yeah. off the road, you know, you can mechanically turn the wheels. But, uh, you know, all that. Um... Don't want to use the gyroscope in your phone, do you? Not for no. That. No. Yeah, a bit like one of those, you know, trying to do one of those uh, Mario Kart games on Apple Apple Arcade using that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, thank you. Well, I, I think unless they ship, is it, you know, level five self-driving autonomy? Uh, you know, a car is going to need those bits, isn't it? And, and I can't imagine they're going to solve that level five problem. That That feels like a problem that is best left for somebody else to solve at great expense. And then Apple builds a nicer version of it. It builds a better version. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, they've got, you know, it's not like they're short of cash. So I mean they can they can play around if you like, doing whatever they like for as hmm. long as they like. Um, you know, they've got enough cash hoards that however many, you know, even billions of dollars they're pouring into automotive research is small beer and they just they may simply be going well you know we find out things about ar we find out things about navigating with lidar we find out things about feedback systems or whatever all that is no doubt valuable ip and, and valuable research information so you know whether there'll actually be a car who knows i you know the rumors are what 2025 i know <laughs> it does seem soon doesn't it I mean, people I know who know more about, um, you know, engineering and, and industrialization, you know, of production, say that if you wanted to be producing a car for 2025, you'd already have to be tooling up. You know, there'd, there'd have to be prototypes. And if, if there were prototypes and, and test versions being prepared, there would be leaks. We would know. You, know, you, you don't keep something as big as that. If you can't keep the iPhones from being leaked, from the supply chain there is no way a story as big as that would be kept under wraps so it's yeah it's, it's, it's hard it is very hard to imagine i mean you know i i think to an extent a lot of the, the teslas in the early days were were sort of built by hand and there was not too much tooling and i guess 
you know, Apple Watch did that thing with the uh, the 18 karat uh, gold watch edition, didn't they? Where it's sort of yeah. you couldn't buy it; they they chose you. And so possibly they could do that, but I think you'd have to be very confident about whatever you were shipping in terms of the car to do that. I really I, do. Yes, I, I really think you would. You know, and because it's Apple, I mean, Tesla get enough stick when people do stupid things and you know fall asleep in the back and tell the car to drive itself across the US and then you know, <laughs> crash into a crash into the back of a you know fire engine or something. Um, they get enough stick. Imagine if Apple produced something and you know they get enough stick for their their sort of self driving. I don't know what they use. They use Kias or something around San Francisco. And, you know, there's always a huge press splash when one gets rear-ended. And most of those, of course, turn out to be, yeah, the bloke behind wasn't paying attention when the, you know, the self-driving mode detected a hazard and stopped and the bloke behind just ploughed into it. But um, mm. so, you know, if, if Apple produced something, the tiniest thing went wrong. It would be, you know, Apple is doomed because their self-driving car that they gave to, I don't know, some huge celeb, you know, scratched its wing on the gatepost on the way into the drive, you know. So um, I wonder I mean, if like, that separation will help Alphabet, where Alphabet, you know, Google became Alphabet so that they could sort of have some of these ventures as distinct uh, yes. in terms of branding. I wonder if that, that becomes a tool for Apple at some point. It may be, but... Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure Google did that for a very good reason, so that they can, you know, they can hive off their moonshots and their sort of blue sky thinking projects. And if they lose billions of dollars, it it shows up. It shows up, obviously, in their financials, but it doesn't it doesn't damage Google's, you know, reporting per se. It says the moonshot division lost X billion, and but like we never expected to make a profit. It's a R and D department um which always looks better you know always mm. looks better so i mean my thought on self-driving cars anyway is that to a large extent it, it won't come in one step it won't be here is a self-driving car it will be more and more driver assist features being fed in to mainstream cars you know from cruise control to adaptive cruise control from lane keeping to intelligent lane switching you know the things we've already got you know kind of proximity braking and you know my car is fully automatic i don't even have to think about it you just um you know you just go and uh you know if you get onto a, a bit of road with you know you're not doing stop start driving you simply put the cruise control on and it and it manages the gears and the, the throttle and everything far more effectively and efficiently than, you know, a human can, unless possibly you're a Formula One racing driver. But And those things just stack up, you know, one by one, they become more um, more available, more common, more accepted until in the end, really, you get in your car and you pretty much tell it where to go. You're just sitting there in case you suddenly decide to do something different or, you know, there's some sort of warning comes up. And and that will be eventually how you get to fully self-driving cars because gradually all the cars will get more intelligent. They will become proximity aware. They will be able to detect each other. And, you know, all these things we were promised sort of in the 70s that cars would be able to approach junctions and we wouldn't need any traffic lights because the cars would all adjust their speeds to cross through the junction perfectly with nobody hitting anybody. Yeah, you know, nice idea. We haven't even managed, you know, we haven't managed that yet, but uh, there you go. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just like uh, bits of Minority Report, isn't it? Where the cars all sort of whiz across like that and it just works. Yeah. And um, that, that always reminded me, years ago, there was a, a a little bit of film. I can't remember. It was probably on the BBC. But what they did was they filmed cars going around um, a small roundabout somewhere and then sped it up, you know, like a, um, sped it up and said, look how complicated this actually is. And, of course, when it sped up to, like, double speed or whatever it was, it looks absolutely petrifying because all these cars are, like, pew, 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 pew. And, of course, those were all human controlled, but it just, it was a part of a, I think the point of it was to say, look, you know, we all accept this, and yet this is all human controlled, and yet a roundabout is an incredibly efficient way of getting vehicles through complicated junctions. Mm. Um, yeah, but it was fascinating to watch, if a little bit scary. But then when you watch things like Minority Report or whatever, where they have all that going on, you realise that's, you know, it's the same thing. It's just, you know, in science fiction, the cars are doing it, not a load of people. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's clearly a lot of room for AR, isn't there? You know, it, yeah, there are many technologies that need to be figured out and, and advancements that need to be made with, with cars or indeed with headsets. But um, it does seem like there's, there's a fairly rich ground for, for AR and perhaps a, a little bit less clear what some of the VR applications are but you know there's, there's, I, I think it, it you know it's helpful to kind of ask the question if we what what could make the two of us talking a sort of a closer experience you know and would that be like what meta demonstrated where we kind of turn into comic book characters and we sit around a table or we we lose our legs and we frolic through a forest. I mean, I think those are interesting ideas and it, and it would be fun to do that and try it out. Uh, but it's certainly a very big change. It's a big cultural change from what we're doing now, where you know I see you and you see me as we are and we speak like this. Yeah, definitely. Um, in, in, in many ways, I think the... Um, the kind of Star Wars technology, and it, it's been used in lots of other sci-fi, where where people have virtual meetings were by basically having you know holographic projectors. So you know you're in what appears to be be a virtual meeting room or a real room, and all the you know one or two people are actually there, and then all the other people appear, and they're obviously you know meant to be on another planet somewhere else in the galaxy far away, but they have this meeting because they all they can all see each other as holograms. Um, mm. I could see that probably being a much more likely thing to take hold, mm. Um, mm. you know, because it's it's zoom on super steroids, isn't it? Uh, uh, I can see a lot of utility in the Mark Zuckerberg kind of idea for entertainment and a whole load of other things, but for serious uses, no. But then again, I guess if you go back to the everything is a toy analogy, you know, corporate, if you were using it for corporate spaces, people would say, well, your avatar has to be constructed to look like you. And no, you can't have devil's horns and look like a killer robot from 2050 and all that. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know yeah. so I mean, the one I meant to mention to you was I was reading uh, because it's something that, you know, we like to discuss. We read some interesting pieces on AR kind of pre-technology. Um, Apple, I think, have had a, a brought out um, a patent for glasses which can adjust effectively their focus. 
Um, I'm not quite sure how because I'm not clever enough, but um, so that you could at least create simple prescriptions from the same lens somehow, or they could change focus from near to far. So, mm. you know, uh, whether it's deformable lenses or plastics that can be modified with, you know, electricity in the same way as an LCD screen, you know, the traditional old LCD matrix would work where by passing electricity through this lens, it can be deformed in different ways. Um, and there was one uh, about a, a product. Well, it's not even really a product. The, the, the company was saying this is a product for a display technology. And we're not, a, you know, we're not saying we want to make smart glasses, but we want to build the display technology and then license it to people who want to make smart glasses. So there are a lot of strides in the background that if you're not in the tech sphere, some of the things that people say, oh, well, you'll never be able to do it because is that there are already people out there working on those things and overcoming those problems. And like a lot of technologies, things come along when the time is right. Mm. You know, why did smartphones suddenly explode? The iPhone had a lot to do with it, but there were smartphones before that. Mm. I believe just before the iPhone came out, I think LG launched a, a smartphone very much in the, you know, in the rectangular slab of glass mold with the touchscreen why did that become the dominant form factor because the display panels and the capacitive glass and all the things that go with that and the battery technology and so on had reached a level where it could be done mm. and um if you're like me you know and you enjoy the history of technology things like uh, uh there used to be a series on called connections you might remember it probably in the 70s with Mr. Oh, Burke, right. right, and it would he would do these um, weird things like uh, I can't, you know, it would be it would be how did we get from um, heating water for a medieval medieval bathtub to I don't know NASA rockets, and he would go right. along <laughs> real. It was a fascinating no. program, and you'd probably find them. I mean, they're ancient, but they would have these sort of strange links and because somebody invented this boiler somebody else then used it to make something else which led to you know to somebody um one of the ones i remember was the thing, some kind of plastic was developed and they used it to make billiard balls or, or, wow. or right unfortunately it was um i think it contained nitroglycerin or something so it would become unstable and it was like you know uh, what happens to these billiard balls when they've, you know, aged a bit and you knock them together? Oh, they go bang. <laughs> which led to several shootouts in bars in the Wild West, which, you know, and so on and so forth. And it was a fascinating program. But what you also learn about those things is, is that technologies take off. People may have thought about them. People may have modelled them. People may even have made concepts that worked. But until the general level of other technology catches up, it doesn't happen. Um, you know, why did when why is it that rifles became popular at a certain point over muskets? Because they'd made machines which could accurately machine the the you know the the size of the barrel and put the rifling in yeah. and produce bullets that accurately fitted in and would work. Before that, you used a musket because you the the bore didn't have to be perfect. You know, you stuffed the ball in, you stuffed in your powder and your ball, and then a load of wadding to make it work. Which is, it worked. It shot a ball out, which could kill things. You know, but it wasn't super accurate. Once they 
you know, had lathes that were turned by gears, which could machine things accurately. Then you could make rifled barrels and so on. These, these, um, so all these things going on in the background fascinate, you know, because if you can join the dots and you, you can't necessarily pick one out and go, oh, this is the one that's going to do it. But there are companies out there doing these things in the same way as there are companies out there trying to perfect wireless charging at a distance, which is something else that fascinates me. Um, don't know about you, but I love that yeah. idea, you know. Um, it's very it's very scary transmitting power wirelessly, isn't it? <laughs> well, well, <laughs> no, but... a, a thing I, I said to somebody many years ago is that we live in an RF soup, right? The, 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 our, we are completely surrounded with TV signals, radio signals, Wi-Fi, everything. If you could create a chip which could somehow harvest some of that and turn it back into energy, you would be effectively creating electricity for free. Now, you know, a lot of physicists will tell you that's incredibly inefficient and you'd never get anything worth doing. But Samsung have just released a TV remote, which they says never needs to be charged up or have the batteries replaced because it has a chip in there that harvests a small amount of electricity from the RF soup it's living in, which just trickles power. All right, I know a TV remote doesn't draw a great deal of power, but if you could up that, you could have an Apple Watch maybe that, you know, at least picks up some power during the day just from the fact that it lives in RF soup. These things fascinate me. They really do. I'd love to see that. Yeah, that, that, that is an incredible thought. Because you know, I hate cables. I detest cables. You know, it doesn't matter what you do with them. They always turn into a snake pit of vipers, don't they? And you, horrible things. I hate them. So it's, it's a tricky balance. I mean, we've been, you know, we have a studio here that, that we shoot in and we've been redoing that and hiding cables in the walls and, and so on. But, you know, I'm, I'm in central London and there are probably 100 access points uh, I can see at any time if I run a, you know, if I try to connect yeah. to a wireless network. So it, it sort of has become a game of who can shout louder. And, you know, we, I got a, a, a Wi-Fi 6E uh, router and I think that can do 1.6 gigs or three gigs. It, it, it can do a lot of gigs. but Actually, even without anything in the way and a great wireless card and a great router, when you include all of the noise, you're looking more like 20, 40, 50 gigs. So, you know, we've just gone the other way and put in a load of Cat7, which, you know, <laughs> is yeah. is a lot faster. I mean, um, obviously, you're in central London, you know, um, out here, you know, you might see five or six access points. So, yeah, that's nowhere near as difficult. But, yeah, I can understand that. But, and also, simply, you know, with just that much noise, as you say, you know, that doesn't matter what the theoretical maximum is, if, if we can drag out. And let's say, if you're getting 40, 50, you know, I've got my old, my old router and I get nearly 300 because... <laughs> Well, it, it would be it would be nice if Apple built on uh, you know their Find My technology and and used essentially a truly private mesh because you know there's no reason all of these wireless access points can't work together and can't accelerate what's going on, but they're all fighting with each other. Yeah, you know that would be that would be a lovely solution for it. I wouldn't even need an access point if I could use one of the you know ninety nine that are surrounding <laughs> me. It would be fine. Yeah. And I know Fon tried that, but, uh, you know, it'd be good to see Apple do it. 
it would. It would. Um, it, it, yeah. The, the thing is, if you, it's a matter of opening your mind to possibilities, I think, a lot of the time. And you have to sometimes, you know, like Steve would say, you know, you have to sometimes just think out there and, and work on a dream. You know, and people say, oh, that's that's insane. It's never going to work. But I'm sure people said that about the internal combustion engine or, you know, the steam engine. You know, why would you want to build a steam engine? We've got water wheels. They work perfectly well. But, <laughs> you know, somebody somewhere has an impossible dream and says, I will make this work. I will keep going until we've cracked it. Now, yeah. obviously, you know, we're not in the steam age. You can't have a couple of engineers in a shed on the whole, cannot develop a fantastic new, you know, modern electronics technology. Although I'm sure occasionally people do, because if you have the right brilliant idea, it's just a matter of cracking it. But um mm. Well, it, that that was the spirit in which uh you know we, we started to build camera our product you know i was frustrated by the quality that webcams gave and the question was you know we knew iphones could do broadcast quality video so why wasn't there an easy way to let people use that uh, exactly. on the macro not, pc you know how can we how can we pull that in how can we make use of it exactly um and sometimes the the point there is just simply how do we you know how do we tap into that and and feed it through in a way that doesn't involve you know a huge amount of effort and finagling for the user it doesn't matter you know to some extent it doesn't matter if you and your engineers have to do a huge amount of finagling to get it to work as long as from the consumer's point of view it's i open the app i plug in you know i plug in my phone and then i point the um you know i point the point the video where I, where i want it to go and jobs are good which is what effectively made skype you know crushed all the previous messages because they mm. they made it easy you know before skype we had msn and aim and you know half a dozen others icq yeah yeah all, all of those and everybody i mean who remembers products like fire and adium which would basically aggregate all your messengers into one app mm. but skype came along and went look we're going to make doing video easy you know, they did some probably dirty hacks to make it work. But from the consumer's point of view, it was open Skype, turn on the camera, connect to people. That's what made it become a huge product. At the yeah, top. It, felt, it felt remarkable. I, I remember, was it 2002, 2003 it came out? I, I, I do remember how it seemed to just work. Yeah, but it, that was the whole thing. You know, it did just work. And it was, uh, I can't remember exactly when it launched, but um, you started getting people saying, oh, I've given up thing. I'm changing to Skype. And then it just whoosh, you know, yep. within, I don't know, two years or something, all the mm -hmm. others were, were dead, dead in the water. So, And I guess you could say the same thing with smartphones within a very short period of time. I'm not, you know, you can still go out and buy feature phones or dumb phones and there are people who use them. But for the large majority of the population, it was like, no, I want this. You know, I do want this. I want to be able to get my mail on my phone. I want to be able to make video calls to my wife or, you know, whoever. I want to be able to, um, you know, read the news as it comes in. And there's a huge cultural shift, you know, what feels like overnight. And um, who can predict what, what will come next? You know, Apple, I think, are betting very much on AR, um, as you said. And I think they're, you know, away in their works. They are calculating, you know, because there are already people out there saying, oh, Apple have left it too late. And it's like, I don't think you've got any, you know. When somebody else brings out a passable AR, you know, a wearable product that isn't, you know, like strapping a brick to your face, 
then I think Apple might need to take a step. But we should. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they worry about being too late, do they? No, I, I think Apple worry about getting it right or as as right as they can. I mean, the the closest thing I could say Apple have done, which didn't hit it out of the park straight away, was the watch. You know, the the initial version of the watch. I don't think Apple really knew where they wanted to go with it. And I'm not sure they were even 100% certain until they got to like Series 3. Um, that's not to say it wasn't a, a passable product, but you know, it was slow, it was limited. But then all new technologies are like that. Mm. And it can't have been that bad because I kept, I kept, my, kept my Series 0 um, until... Well, it wouldn't it, it wouldn't take the new watch OS, and I think I kept it a right. year after that, and then I said no, you know, I'm not going two two versions behind. So I bought Series Three. Don't know what series was out by then, maybe the five. Mm. Um, but you could still, you know, you could buy the three and a, a, a much cheaper price. And a lot of the things that they added later don't interest me. I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a sportsman. I'm not a health fanatic. I don't, you know, it'll track my heart rate, but it, it doesn't do blood oxygen or a million other yeah. things. But that doesn't bother me. So, but, you know, it went on to become a huge hit, the Apple Watch. Mm. Yeah, you certainly you certainly see people wearing them everywhere. I'm a I'm a very big fan of the watch for sure. Yeah, and I think Apple have had their hands tied behind the back a bit, at least in this country, by the telcos. You know, I I think very few people have cellular data on their watches uh, because I I think with with most providers, you know, there's quite a premium to put it on. Yes, there is. You know. Because they think they can make money out of it. Actually, you know, they basically, let's face it, certainly in this country, the telecos make their money by selling you data. Nobody cares about phone calls anymore. They all give you basically unlimited phone calls and texts. Um, what they're selling you is data. Um, mm. So really, I, I think that, you know, if they've got any sense, rather than trying to nickel and dime you for a few more quid a month to have cellular on your watch or your laptop or your iPad, they should just be saying, well, we'll just chuck it in. It's data. Data's data, right? It's not like the watch is going to use a lot, is it? But I, I guess they reckon they can get five or ten pounds a month just to <laughs> just to stick on another device that... Might eat a couple of megs a week if you're lucky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess until uh, and what will happen, I guess, is the, the the same as how you know we went from being charged per text or you know per phone call to effectively a subscription because somebody will crack and go, you know what, we could get a load of users if we say all your data. You're right. We just we just sell you a data plan. That's it. And you can connect all your devices to it. We don't care. You just pay for the, you know, the amount of data you think. And, you know, then everybody else will be forced to follow suit because they'll be hemorrhaging users to whoever does it first. Well, it'll be nice. Nice when that comes. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. So am I. Uh, but I remember well, probably when smartphones first came out. Yeah, 2007, 2008. I remember a, a friend of mine said, you know, Simon, in a few with these phones, in a few years, companies won't be charging you to use your phone. It will be a subscription service where, you know, you pay your subscription and then you use your phone pretty much as much as you like. And people laughed at him. And I thought, mm, I'm not so sure. And he was right because, you know, within a few years, certainly in this country, you just pay for your data and that's it. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Never say never. <laughs> 
Never say never. Right. Well, we've been going quite a long time, Aidan, and thank you for giving up your time to talk to me. It's been that's been an absolute pleasure. Been absolutely lovely, and uh, like I say, thank you very much for coming on. What we normally do now in the wrap up is uh, you tell people where they can find your stuff. You know, your socials if they want to follow you, or your uh, you know your websites and stuff, and uh, then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, sure thing. Well, uh, so my company, Reincubate, is at reincubate.com. That's R-E-I-N-C-U-B-A-T-E.com. And you can read about Camo. And indeed, there's a free version. You can get that there. Um, and in terms of connection with me, I'm pretty active on Twitter. You can get me at AFIT, being the beginning of my name, A-F-I-T. Lovely. Well, thanks once again, Aidan. And uh, the view, uh, listeners, viewers, listeners, whatever, all know that they can find me on uh, the Twitters as at Serenak, S-E-R-E-N-A-K. All of the Essential Apple stuff is uh, EssentialApple.com. The show tweets is at EssentialApple. Uh, and uh, that's about it. Thank you to everybody who supports us. And uh, you can join us in the Slack room by following the links in the show notes. And uh, lovely speaking to you, Aidan. So this is where we basically say to the viewers, uh, listeners, why do I keep saying viewers? Because I'm looking at you, because we're doing video. That's why. <laughs> Until next time, goodbye. Toodle bit. Thank you. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website EssentialApple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show uh, or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Hi, I'm Bart Bouchotts, host of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. Every month I gather together a panel of Apple followers and we digest the month's Apple news. Our aim is to step back and take a 40,000 foot view of all things Apple. We're the perfect complement to the many great daily news shows out there. Listen and subscribe at www.letstalk.ie. Until then, goodbye.